Today we're going to uh, look again at Ecclesiastes chapter 5. This is part 2 of a two-part message. And uh, last week we looked at uh, drawing near to God in worship. Today we look at our response uh, to God in worship. So Ecclesiastes 5, and Lord willing, uh, next week, which is Christmas Eve, uh, and uh, the Sunday morning and Christmas Eve service uh, will be a, a passage focused on the incarnation of Christ. But today we continue in Ecclesiastes. Uh, verse 1 was what the, 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 the message last week was about, but we'll read it again as we go through verse 7. Solomon writes, Walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. Do not be rash with your mouth, and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God, for God is in heaven and you on earth. Therefore let your words be few, for a dream comes through much activity, and a fool's voice is known by his many words. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. It is better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Do not let your mouth cause you your flesh to sin, nor say before the messenger of God that it was an error. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words, there is also vanity. But fear God. This is the word of the living God, who by the Holy Spirit breathed it out and it's written for us in our instruction. Let us pray. We thank you, Lord, for the written word of God. Uh, Lord, we pray uh, that this written word would be the living word to us today, that it would reveal Christ to us, and that by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, it would truly transform uh, us from the inside out, for we ask in Jesus' name, amen. So in verse 1 of chapter 5, Solomon introduces the topic of worship. The most important thing that we can be about in this life, and of course even into eternity, is the worship of God. We were created to glorify and worship God, and this is our highest calling. And he pictures, Solomon pictures a person going to the house of God. He had in mind certainly the temple that he was uh, given the privilege and, and calling to build. And so in the house of God, we draw near to him. And that's true today in the church as we gather in the name of Jesus. Solomon built the temple in 1 Kings 8, verse 13. Solomon prayed to the Lord. And he, as they dedicated the temple, I, he said, I have surely built you an exalted house and a place for you to dwell in forever. So as we go to the house of God, Solomon's saying that we're coming into the presence of God himself. And, and Solomon says, uh, this approaching, therefore to approach God in worship to approach his very presence, we need to consider how we go about that. It needs to be done with great care. 
and, and great reverence. We are to guard our steps or to walk prudently, as the New King James says. When we come to worship the Lord, we, we're to draw near to listen rather than offer the sacrifice of fools. If, if we're not willing to listen to the word of God, we can't worship him. All right. And it's the most important part of our worship is to hear God speak uh, in his word. Uh, everything depends on the word of God in worship. So, as I mentioned last week, uh, we, we first of all remember that in worship, God speaks to us. But we also need to understand that we, in response, are to speak to God. Uh, God speaks to us in the scriptures, and then uh, in worship, we respond, uh, not merely with words, but words that come from the heart, uh, that we respond with willing submission and true and sincere faith in the Lord, and a willingness to, to, to hear what God is saying to us in, in, in the sense that we actually heed it, we embrace it, and, and take it to heart. So, uh, worship is a dialogue, it's a conversation between God and man. God speaks first. God uh, is, his word is the authoritative word. And what, what does God have to say? And then we respond uh, in prayer, praise, in vows, and other commanded acts of faith and love. So let's get into now part two, which covers verses two through seven, and consider our response to God, to consider what it is we are to say and how we are to speak uh, to the Lord. One commentary I read described temple worship under the Old Covenant. He's, this commentator said, Temple sacrifices were offered in silence, first of all. And then the silence was broken by a reading from the Law of Moses and an explanation for the people. The response to hearing from God would be to speak to God through prayers, songs, and sometimes vows. The service was closed with a benediction. But can you imagine coming uh, to worship, you bring a sacrifice and there's nothing, no one saying anything, not the priest, not the, the worshiper. And you simply, in silence, watch as the, the animal was slain and its blood was spilled. And you see, when we think of our Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us on the cross, see, that's what makes worship possible. That's what makes a relationship, this dialogue, possible between us and God. But we stand and we consider that. Each time we gather for worship, in, in silence, we, we, we reflect on and we remember what Christ has done for us. And then we hear, we hear his word. And that's the word, of course, tells us about all that. But then we respond, uh, as those in the Old Covenant did, with prayers, songs, and vows. So uh, we, we, we humbly listen to God, but that's not all. We must respond. Uh, worship is, is not merely passive. You know, sometimes it seems like in, in church we can just be spectators. We can just be passive listeners, just like we're at home watching TV or something, uh, right? We, there's no, nothing required of us. Well, that's not true in worship. Uh, you're required to be very attentive to, in listening, but also very involved and fully engaged in response, God wants to hear our voices in prayer. 
That's 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 very uh, evident, I think, in these first several verses, verses two through three, that he's talking about prayer, uh, and and certainly prayer is is something that that is one of the primary means of grace. We hear his, God speaks his, to us in his word, and we speak to him in prayer. It's it's very basic, very simple, uh, and and God knows our hearts. He knows what we're going to say even before we say it. And we say, well, what's the use? Well, because God commands it. He wants to hear us pray. He, he loves to hear us pray. And uh, when we speak to God, though, Solomon, again, he, just like when we draw near to worship, you know, and how, how are we to listen? He has some advice. He has advice here, principles uh, to help us when we speak to God. In verse 2, he says, don't be rash with your mouth. Don't let your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven and you on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. So, so these, these principles, they also uh, they apply equally to our own private, individual prayers, our family uh, prayers and devotions, but most importantly, certainly in corporate worship as we gather together. Uh, so... We're to speak to God in worship, but not to say anything rashly. And, and that Hebrew word for rash, it can mean uh, to be disturbed, be anxious, be afraid, be hurried, be nervous. Uh, some people by nature are more laid back. Uh, they're slow, they're careful, they're quiet. And, and, you know, people who are a little more uppity, a little more uh, anxious or uh, excited kind of people, it's hard, it's... You know, we have to be patient, right, with people who are slow and careful. But God says in worship that actually the slow and careful uh, and, and thoughtfulness, you know, that, that kind of approach to him and as we respond, that's more desirable for us. Um, don't be too quick to just blurt something out. Uh, but think about what you are saying and, uh, and consider who it is that you're speaking to. Uh, usually when we're so, so quick to respond uh, and, and do things and say things in life, it's because we think we know better. But that's never the case with God. We might know better than other people uh, you know, concerning some, some things in life, but never, never with God. So don't interrupt God when he's speaking. Uh, and then... When you do say something, think about what you're saying. Think of who it is that you're speaking to. Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, didn't he? And the first uh, first thing he taught us is to say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We usually think of prayer as, uh, Lord, I, I need this, please give me that. You know, and, and he gets to that. Give us this day our daily bread. But... The meat of prayer is in the first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, so before we ask God for anything, consider who God is and that who is he? He is, first of all, our Heavenly Father. And that was radical when Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer. Uh, the, the Jewish people, uh, they didn't think of God as a father. Even though there, there were occasions when the word father was used in reference to God in the Old Testament, Jesus gave this a, 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 a new um, uh, 
significance and, 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 and a new teaching to them. And so, so we need to understand that God is, is the perfect father. He's a loving father. He knows our needs. He desires to meet those needs. He loves us. He cares for us. And he won't withhold anything that we do truly need. And um, our father's in heaven as well. That, that means uh, he is seated on a, on a throne. He's majestic, sovereign. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. Uh, he's the high and, and, and lofty one. The Holy One. He, he dwells in a high and holy place. So our Heavenly Father just demands respect. Uh, his name is to be hallowed. Hallowed be thy name. To be honored as holy. And so uh, we should stand in awe of him and think carefully about what we say to such a God. Even though he is our Father, uh, we, we greatly respect him as, as we should any father, even an earthly father. Uh, one of the... Uh, New uh, uh, set of uh, books that I've been reading recently is by a Dutch theologian named Wilhelmus Abrockel, and he wrote a couple hundred years ago commenting on the Lord's Prayer. And he says, In prayer we turn to God, the Father of lights, from whom descends every good and perfect gift. That's from James. We acknowledge him as the only one worthy of worship, before whom we bow ourselves with deepest humility being desirous to do so with our whole heart. Then we shall worship him with all reverence, giving him honor and glory, even if we did not need to request anything from him. You say, well, I don't have any needs, so I don't need to pray. Yes, you pray. You give him uh, the worship and reverence and honor and glory, even though you might not think of anything you need. Of course, we usually think of things we need. Uh, but don't forget our need to to give him the praise, and to, to pray according to those first three uh, uh, petitions of the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Study those and reflect on those. But Solomon also says that our words should be few. Uh, in one of Solomon's Proverbs, he said, In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Well, that's referring to our conversations with each other, right? And we know, again, there are some people who are people of few words by nature. Some people just like to talk, and they've got a lot to say, uh, or at least they think they do. Uh, but, but, you know, in, in prayer, the, the preference is, let's be brief. Uh, and, uh, and, and we need to be, again, very, very thoughtful. Jesus taught us in Matthew 6, 7, uh, right before he taught us the Lord's Prayer, it says, And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. We're not to, we're not to put a time limit on prayers, okay? That's, that's not the point. It's, it's the idea of just, just praying things over and over, the same things, same phrases, same ways, uh, meaningless repetition in prayer. And uh, thoughtless repetition, in other words, just just kind of going through familiar-sounding phrases. Uh, you know, in prayer, sometimes I think that we tend to babble on and we just say a lot of things that are meaningless filler words. Um, dear Lord, dear Lord, dear Lord, Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, over and over and over. But 
and we need to address God, but but we need to use uh, some restraint and and thinking about not just falling. It's so easy. I know. It's so easy to fall into habits and patterns in our prayers. Uh, One thing, I think we did this years ago in, in family worship, or maybe we did it in a prayer meeting, but usually we start out a prayer a certain way. And, and we pray, you know, dear Heavenly Father or dear Gracious Lord. You know, that might be, try something different next time. All right? you, you will find that it's not as easy as you think. Uh, dear Sovereign Lord, if you've never prayed that way, you know, start a prayer a different way. It's, it's just, just an exercise to get us to think about what we're saying. And, uh, and of course, there are times when we ought to spend a long time in prayer. And usually that's when we're alone with God. Sometimes it may be a prayer meeting. We, we hear about prayer meetings that sometimes go on for, for, for hours. And uh, we read about Jesus spending all night in prayer to his heavenly Father. That wasn't meaningless repetition. You see, that, that was just an earnest and a, a, you know, time of need for the Lord Jesus. And sometimes you and I may have those times where we spend longer in prayer uh, than usual. But generally, Solomon says... Uh, when we're worshiping God, when we're praying to Him in response, we shouldn't multiply our words needlessly. Uh, Matthew Henry put it this way: He said, "Many words and hasty ones uh, used in prayer show folly in the heart, low thoughts of God, and careless thoughts of our own souls." And then going on to verse three in our text, he says, "For a dream comes through much activity, and a fool's voice is known." By his many words. Well, going, thinking of this idea of a dream comes through much activity. It's hard to know exactly what he meant, but perhaps he's thinking of someone who's just working themselves to the bone. They're, they're you know, they're overworked. They tend to have uh, anxiety, many troubling dreams, uh, sometimes crazy dreams. Right? Uh, that that happens. Uh, and, and what he's saying, I think, is that so too we can be foolish in worship and just say a lot of words that don't make a lot of sense, like those crazy dreams we have sometimes, uh, because we're just so full of anxiety and, and we can't slow down. Uh, this, is, this is something to be avoided. And in verse 7, he says, For in the multitude of dreams and many words, there's also vanity. Uh, here he could be, someone said that he could be referring to our tendency to daydream. Uh, in worship, it's hard to focus sometimes. Because we, in worship, uh, things come to mind that are brought up even by what's being said or what's being sung and so forth. And we can get on those rabbit trails and go daydreaming. But, but we need to rein that in, keep ourselves focused uh, to remember to pray according to the will of God, but also by the help of the Holy Spirit. And so we need to pray, Lord, help me uh, to avoid uh, that, those wandering thoughts. Help me to avoid foolish prayers uh, and, and, and too many words. Teach me to pray aright. So worship, uh, prayer, like everything else in worship, needs to be thoughtful. It needs to be offered from the heart. That's the main thing. Don't, don't get all uh, bent out of shape and thinking, oh, did I go past the time limit for my prayer? That's not what we're talking about here. But if your heart is being poured out to God, that's what, re- that's what God is after. Uh, and and uh, the words 
are um, important, but uh, the heart is most important. So simply repeating words, whether it's the Lord's Prayer, whether it's the Prayer of Confession, uh, uh, you know, that won't cut it. We know that. We take those words and make them our own. Lord, I, I sincerely uh, pray that your name would be hallowed. I, I genuinely desire for your kingdom to come. And we aim at that sincerity as we even pray uh, the written prayers. But sometimes, uh, even when we're praying our own words, we can uh, mindlessly repeat, the, again, the pious-sounding phrases that we are used to saying. And so Solomon's words are rebuked to several types of prayer. He certainly is rebuking pagan prayer. We shouldn't imitate the pagans, the heathen, as Jesus said in our prayers. I think about the prophets of Baal, and, uh, and they were to pray. You know, Elijah challenges them uh, to pray that you know, Baal would uh, bring down fire from heaven and consume the sacrifice that was uh, on the altar there. And so they pray, you know, over and over, the same phrases, same phrases, and that didn't work, so they started cutting themselves. And the text says, blood's gushing out, you know. It's like, do you think you have to do that to get God's attention? No. (laughs) You, You just need to know Jesus Christ and pray sincerely from the heart, and you have his ear, you have his attention. Uh, Solomon's words, rebuke the Pharisees for their lengthy and pompous prayers. You contrast the Pharisee and the publican who came into the temple. And the Pharisee had this long prayer where he's praying and thanking God that he's not like other men and so on. It's, it's a bit full of pride. And then you have this publican, the sinner, who, says, who simply says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's all he said. But he meant it. And it was humble. And it was the right thing to pray for. Uh, And then it it also uh, rebukes, Solomon's words rebuke uh, mindless uh, denominational groups like Roman Catholics who pray through the beads of a rosary, repeating Hail Marys and Our Fathers right and left, thinking, well, if I pray through the whole rosary, boy, that's really going to get me somewhere. No, it's not. That's vain repetition. Now, certainly, we ought not waste words as we go to the Lord in prayer by explaining to God in detail what it is we're asking and how exactly it is that God ought to answer that prayer, right? First of all, God already knows what we need better than we do, and we don't need to tell God how to do it. He's going to do it his way. And so that reminds us that when we pray, we should always have that attitude, if not voice it, Your will be done, Lord. If you're willing, please hear this prayer. If it will glorify you, and and if it is your will, please answer my request. So, uh, I would add one caveat to this, and that is uh, to this matter of keeping our prayers short and sweet. Uh, Letting your words be few does not mean that you shouldn't persevere in your prayers to God. Jesus taught us to do that. In Luke 18, men are always to pray and not to lose heart. And he told this little parable of this persistent widow who, who needed justice and she kept coming to an unjust judge who wasn't 
inclined to give her justice, but the judge finally does give her justice. Why? Because she wouldn't leave him alone. We think of Jacob wrestling with God. And he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. That, that's faith. That's faith in action. It's okay to be like that with God, says Jesus. It's okay to persevere in prayer as long as you're respectful and humble and you accept that the will of God is what you really want and what you, what you ought to pray for. Um, because we don't always know, right, how to pray. And uh, so God is listening to our hearts. He's looking for faith. He's not looking so much for the word. But uh, sometimes he does test our faith. And sometimes he, he remains silent and doesn't answer right away. It doesn't mean you should quit praying about something. If, if it's really uh, important and you believe it is God's will, you should keep praying and persevering over time in that thing. Well, Solomon moves on to another form of speaking to God in worship, and that of take, that's taking vows to God. He said, when you make a vow, do not delay to repay it. Uh, pay what you vowed better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Vows are, some, are, 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 are things that uh, Solomon assumes that worshipers are going to make. But vows are largely voluntary uh, in worship. And, um, and yet, when we make them, we need to take them seriously. Uh, most of the time, vows aren't required. But sometimes they are. Uh, a Christian wedding ceremony. Right? The, the man and the woman take vows to each other. And we need to remember those vows are taken not just to each other, but to God. In the presence of God, uh, they are taking these vows. And so certainly in a day and age when many people are not taking marriage vows seriously, Christians ought to stand out as, as, as different. Uh, if we vow to be faithful until death do us part, um, then we need to stick it out. We need to work it out, if at all possible. If at all possible. Uh, we know that uh, it's difficult sometimes, but God's grace is sufficient. And we also take membership vows. We take leadership vows. And in a couple of weeks, we'll have uh, the ordination and installation of the new deacons, and they'll be taking vows of leadership. And uh, these things are important. Pastors take vows uh, to, to preach the whole counsel of God, and so on, and, uh, and to uphold sound doctrine and, and, and to live a, a, an exemplary life. Now, all pastors fall short, but some pastors completely abandon their vows and uh, quit preaching sound doctrine. And that's a serious thing. Uh, but there are also these vows that we take that are not formal in nature. I like wedding vows and leadership or membership vows. They might be something that happens uh, in the service, in the middle of hearing a sermon, that God touches on something, and in your heart you say, Lord, I'm sorry that I was living a certain way. I, I desire and I commit myself to uh, doing thus and such, to living uh, for you. That's, that's sort of a vow that we take in our hearts before God. And so we need to, you know, if we make promises to God in worship, maybe nobody else has heard them, 
we need to be serious about those things. You know, it's easy to be convicted and make those promises when we're meeting with the Lord. And then we get back home and we get back to our normal routine. It's not so easy. So let's think about that. And uh, don't make the promise if you don't really plan to keep it, is what Solomon is telling us. And so are we keeping those promises? Have you made promises in the past? You say, well, I didn't keep them. Well, you can start. Uh, you can start. In verse 6, he says, Don't let your mouth cause your flesh to sin or say before the messenger of God that it was an error. And here you can envision perhaps uh, an Israelite goes to the priest and he says, I'll give a certain amount to the poor. I promise, I pledge to give this much to the work of God. But then later the messenger comes and says, Okay, I'm here to collect your, what you have vowed to, to give. Uh, and, and he says, uh, yeah, you know, I didn't really mean to say that. I didn't really mean to say, uh, you know, I give a hundred thousand. I met, you know, uh, you know, a thousand. And so, uh, uh, you know, he says, why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? So we all have excuses, reasons why we don't keep our vows. But none of those excuses will hold up before the Lord. Okay, make a vow, but make sure you're going to keep it. Uh, and don't say, you know, I shouldn't have made that vow. That was, that, that was foolish of me to do that. Um, that's right. If you're not planning to keep it, it was foolish of you to make it. But if you make it, you can't go back on it. You shouldn't go back on it. And uh, because Psalm 15 says that a godly person swears to his own hurt and does not change. He doesn't go back on it. You might lose out. You, it, it might be painful. To keep that vow, but we should honor and keep our vows. Unless it's a vow to do something sinful. And you recognize later, that was wrong. That was sinful. Uh, if you make a sinful vow, don't keep that. All right, so uh, true worship, you see, is proven. Uh, our response in worship is proven when our words aren't just empty words, but they actually mean something. They actually uh, uh, you know, are sincere. But after instructing us about the wrong ways that we can approach God in worship, finally he urges us, he concludes by telling us to fear God. To fear God. You see, underneath or beneath our lack of attention, our lack of, of reverence and respect in worship, our thoughtless words and prayer and vows and so on, uh, is the lack of, a, of the fear of God in our lives. So you say... I. You know, I'm guilty of all these things in some way. How do I remedy uh, my worship so it pleases God? Uh, learn to fear God. It will cover a multitude of sins, if you will. And so, um, you know, today, of course, we can look around at our culture. And we certainly see this total absence of the fear of God in our world. And that's nothing new. Romans uh, 3.18, a couple thousand years ago, says there is no fear of God before their eyes. So if you bemoan what you see around you today in, in the culture, uh, it's not a new thing. You should bemoan it. You should grie be grieved over it. Uh, but someone has said that that's not only true of the world. He said that, you know, that, that Romans 3.18, there's no fear of God before their eyes, could be the contemporary church's motto. Ouch. Could be our church's unspoken motto. If if it's fear of God's missing, it doesn't matter what the style of worship is. But the style of worship 
the type of the way we worship does reflect, I think, uh, it should reflect the fear of God. It should reflect God's words and commands, of course. Uh, that, that, that's true. Uh, but behind this lack of the fear of God is something else. Um, we peel back the, the layers of the onion. You know, why do we have foolish vows and you know meaningless words? Because we don't fear God. Well, why don't we fear God? Because we don't know Him. We're not we're not taught, uh, and and we don't care who God about you know the Lord's character. And so, if we knew Him better, we would fear Him more. If we understood who it is we are approaching in worship. Uh, you see, Moses, when he came to the burning bush, he didn't really know what was going on. But he heard God speak. And God says, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. Okay, that's what we need. That's what we need. The fear of God, understanding who it is that, that we're coming to. We, we're listening to what God says. That's how we learn the character of God, is that we listen to what he's saying to us in his word. And if we truly understood the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, if we truly understood what happened on the cross, that the eternal Son of God, the sinless uh, second person of the Trinity, became man and, and offered himself as a substitute in our place, taking the wrath of God, which we cannot imagine, has nothing to do virtually with the pain of the wounds that, and, and, and of crucifixion, but of the suffering of being forsaken by God and abandoned to the wrath of His Heavenly Father for our sake. That, if we grasp that, uh, we will understand the fear of God. Even the thief on the cross, as, as, as some of us talked about yesterday as we met, uh, said to his fellow thief who was blaspheming the Lord as they hung there, on their crosses. He says, do you not even fear God? So here's one criminal rebuking the other because he had witnessed, as he witnessed the Lord Jesus dying, as he heard Jesus speaking those words from the cross, this man began to believe in Christ. This man began to fear God. And so he says, do you not even fear God? And if we realize we're deficient in the fear of God, then... Not only do we need to grow in the knowledge of God, yes, but we need to pray uh, that the Lord would put this fear in our hearts. Because Psalm 34, uh, the psalmist says, Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. So I don't know. I don't really know what it's all about. I don't know how to, to express the fear of God. I don't know how to get it. Uh, be teachable. The Lord will teach you. Psalm 89, verse 7 says, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. I talked last week about the fact that, that in worship there needs to be great joy. But we cannot avoid, we cannot skip over this idea. God's to be greatly, is greatly to be feared in the assembly of his saints. How, how, how much more obvious and plain can God make it to us that worship needs to be reverent? Well, he says in Jeremiah 32, 40, I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. Now, that's an interesting thought, too. That adds this element of how does this affect not only just the time of worship, but affect our lives as we seek to grow in sanctification. 
Because when we lack the fear of God, uh, if you don't fear God, you're, you're not going to fear the idea of, well, if I give in to sin or if I uh, you know, put myself into temptation, it's no big deal. If you don't fear God, you're not going to worry about sinning. But if you do fear God it, and you rightly fear him, you will have a greater strength and desire to resist temptation. Uh, one more quote from the old Dutch guy. And uh, we're almost done here. But he says, the livelier the fear of God is, the less sin will have any effect. The livelier the fear of God, the less sin has an effect on our lives. And so, uh, the Lord is great, the Bible says, greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Did you know, it says of Jesus... Uh, predicting Isaiah predicting in 11 verse 3 his delight is in the fear of the Lord Jesus teaches us how to fear God and of course not only does he provide that example but but he's provided the way for us to be forgiven for falling short in our worship and in our fear of the Lord uh, our worship always falls a little short that's okay Jesus his worship was perfect you and I and our worship will be purified by his blood. So every time we worship, we have an eye to, with a, a view to putting our trust in that sacrifice that purifies even our righteous deeds. So think about this. Here's a quote for you. What happens if we fear God? He said, well, this boy... If we really fear the God, fear the Lord like you're saying, Mark, boy, this is going to be not going to be a very happy place in time when we gather for worship, is it? Uh, I like what Robert Godfrey said. Uh, he said, "Real reverence is never stodgy or dull, but it's profound and moving. It's profound and moving." The Bible says, "Prepare to meet your God." He says, That's what we do every week. In worship, what we ought to do. We ought to be prepared to meet God. You know, you need to be prepared to meet Him when you stand on the day of judgment. Yes, but every week we meet with Him. When we consciously and reverently prepare to meet with the eternal, the infinite, the unchangeable God. We will have a deep and moving experience that, that far surpasses all the, the gimmicks and, and, and entertainments that are brought into worship, those things are only a cheap substitute for the reality of what God wants to do in our midst. God, says Solomon, is the one we ought to fear. Let's see what happens when we do that. I think we'll be greatly moved. Moved to live for God. Moved to love Him more. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, uh, for... You're great.